Welcome to the Emotional Balance Sheet Podcast, your guide to help you manage life, money, and multiples. Each episode, host Paul Fenner, Tama Capital's president and founder, and the proud parent of four amazing children, including one set of triplets, will provide insights on successfully sustaining an active lifestyle, career, and family through comprehensive wealth management strategies, financial education, and lifestyle planning specific to parents raising twins, triplets, and more. Learn more, subscribe to the show, or connect with Paul at TamaCapital.com. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon for investment decisions. Clients of Tama may retain positions in the securities discussed in this podcast. Are you willing to do the work and focus on someone besides yourself? Are you willing to be a better person for it? These are the same questions that drive Kathy Adams a self-awareness expert, podcast host, and author focused on helping parents and empowering families. Kathy is a licensed clinical social worker, certified parent coach, certified elementary school teacher, certified yoga teacher, and teaches in the sociology department at Dominican University and Elmhurst College. 11 years ago, Kathy and her husband Todd launched Zen Parenting Radio, a podcast that helps expand compassion through the lens of a spiritual and emotional mom and a logical and practical dad. Kathy's most recent book, Zen Parenting, dives into the seven chakras and how they intertwine with our lives as parents. Kathy explains that her journey as a new mom was not quite how she originally envisioned it, which helped lead to several life transitions that led her into therapy and parental coaching. As Kathy pointed out during our conversation, if it's hysterical, it's historical, a reference used in recovery programs that identify the root cause of an issue is always a few layers deep and not simply on the surface. We can't always plan for what next, what's next as parents. What is possible is our unlimited capacity for compassion and caring for ourselves and our children. Please enjoy my conversation with Kathy Adams. So Kathy Adams, welcome to the Emotional Balance Sheet Podcast. Thank you, Paul. I'm really excited to be here. And you look amazing, even though our uh, audience who's our, you know, you know, audio listeners can't, can't see us. You look great for having COVID. We, we had this scheduled and you had no voice and I know you felt horrible because it was like a last minute thing, but, um, I am so glad that you were feeling healthy and somewhat back to normal. You said, thank you. Yeah. I think it was literally the day before, like I was kind of pushing it away. Like, no, this isn't COVID. I'm fine. And then my voice literally went away right before we were supposed to record. So I am now what, two or three weeks post um, I, I'm thank you. I feel so much better, but it, as we were just talking before we started, it's, it's quite a journey. <laughs> yeah. And, and that was one of the things that we talked about is how it affects everybody. So different, even within families. Cause mm-hmm. like you, everybody, you said in your family, got it. Um, I'm a family of six. Most of the audience knows I have a set of triplets plus one and my wife, Teresa got it. My daughter, Madison got it. The other four of us, same room in the same week. Uh, we're all together and, and we didn't get it. So I know it's, it's funny because I think once you have it or when you're you know trying to avoid it, or once you've been exposed and we've all been in one of those categories, you do all this reading. So you can be like, okay, I need to be clear. And what you recognize, and this, we've been doing this for two years now, three, two and a half years is there, there are no answers. Right. So it's unpredictable. It's uncertain. Just like you said, you can be in the same room and not get it for me. I have no idea where, you know, like we don't know. Mm-hmm. So it's like, there's no, there's no way to know and how people are affected by it. And then the other thing, Paul, that's crazy is it's less about, for me, it was less about the illness itself and more about the disconnection from people for a long period of time yeah. to isolate, you know, not touch them, wear masks, not like there's such a sense of like, I can't connect with people. It felt like the olden days of 2020. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that, I was just going to say that had to take you back and like, yeah. that's probably not a journey you wanted to go back on. I didn't, I didn't. And, and I, and I now have, you know, like I said, I had avoided it all those years and I now have a more compassionate, I was compassionate before, but now I really understand when someone gets it, it's like 10 days of, you know, you have to figure out how to get away from people or, and some people feel better before then, 
but it's this whole process of making sure you don't expose others. It's just, you know, again, it's just a journey. And when you're through it, you're just like, wow, okay. I was, I just said to you, I'm just glad I have a little time. Who knows how much time, but where I'm not going to get it. So I can be a little more free, but um, we'll see how long that lasts. I, yeah. I hope, I hope as much time as I can get. Well, I am so excited about having you on because we're going to talk about so many things that are exciting in your realm right now. You, you launched a new book. You and your husband, Todd, uh, have this amazing uh, podcast of your own called Zen Parenting. And so we're going to get into a lot of this. And I think our audience is really going to be uh, impressed with your, with your background. So why don't we start there? Give our audience a, a background or info on, on who you are, what you do, because you have a really interesting background as a licensed therapist, which yes. I love having people like you on the show. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, it started, I was uh, like, you know, not to go back too far here. I just turned 50. So, you know, I don't need to tell you every year, but I started out as an elementary school teacher and then realized that I wanted to go back to become a social worker, a clinical social worker, because I was talking to my students about their emotional well-being all the time anyway. Wasn't that interested in reading and math. I was like, I just want to you know, be supportive of kids. I worked at a children's hospital here in Chicago that's now called Lurie Children's Hospital, used to be called Children's Memorial. And I worked in uh, you know, the psychiatry department, um, inpatient, partial hospitalization, helping families, um, children, teenagers. And then once I had my own kids, and I have three daughters, now 19, 17, and 14, um, I went into a slightly different direction where I started doing parent coaching. So instead of doing like high crisis um, type of situations that I was doing at the hospital, I started focusing more on parents' everyday needs. You know, how do I get my kid to sleep? How do I take care of myself? How do I deal with my relationship? So coaching is just a little bit different than therapy. You know, there's um, you know, we've had years and years of differentiating between the two. I would say I bring both into, into my work. I bring my therapeutic awareness, but also my coaching kind of mentality. Um, and then I also, you know, since that time, I'm, you know, I have a clinical practice. Obviously, I work with people, but Todd and I started Zen Parenting Radio um, 11 years ago, which is why it's called Zen Parenting Radio, because nobody knew what a podcast was. <laughs> we, Paul, You're one we, of the it, old, the original OGs, what we call <laughs> it, original gangsters, you and Todd. So much so that we thought like a radio station would buy our show. Like that's how naive, right? But um, but we still, you know, we keep, we, we kick it back and call it Zen Parenting Radio still. And we um, have been doing that uh, together. And, and when we started, Todd was not, he, I was telling you before that he, he's a lot like you, you know, the things he was interested in. He's a salesman. He's been there for his whole career. Like since he was 22 years old, he's into real estate. He loves financial planning, but really what he loves are the things you love too. Like he wants to talk about relationship. He wants to talk about parenting. He wants to talk about connection, especially with men, because that's not very common. Right. Um, so we have this show where we talk about all those things and we kind of, you know, bring in a lot of pop culture. We bring in a lot of spirituality. We bring in a lot of like um, Western understanding, the medical model of, you know, therapeutic awareness and and then I'm a writer and I have written a few books, but my recent book is called Zen Parenting. I kind of tried to bring together everything that we talk about on the show, which is not easy because it's been 11 years, right. um, but, and put it together in a way where people could be like, okay, what are the things that if I want to have a connective relationship, take care of myself, um, feel, you know, have a sense of peace. How do I do that? So that's what my book is about. So we're going to get in the details of that. But one of the, the interesting things you pointed out was this transition, which we talk about a lot on this show and how most people, I think, really underestimate the, the amount and brevity of life transitions you actually go through. Yeah. And so I wrote, I just wrote this down, teacher to therapist, to parenting coach. Yeah. How, how did, how did, I can see going from teacher to therapist. Walk us through, like, how did you go from therapist to parenting coach? And like, what was, what was that like? And how did you actually do it? Like, did you have to go back and get certified or, or mm -hmm. go that route? You know, what happened is I was, I, I had my first daughter. And like I said, I was still working as a therapist and a clinical educator at the hospital. And I realized that if I was going to 
be with her, like focus on her needs. Cause here's the, here's another thing. Talk about transitions, becoming a parent. You don't even know what that means until it happens. Right. That's right. So There's no I'm, book gonna or, or podcast or conversation that's going to prep you for that. <laughs> I know. I love reading my journal from that time where I'm like, and I'm going to still go to live shows and see my favorite bands. And I'm going to still, you know, go out with my friends and have her in the Bjorn. You know, like I had so many ideas of what parenting would look like. One of them being, I'm going to keep working full time. Right. And what I decided to do was not do that. After um, some time, I was like, I, I can't, And this is just for me, by the way, because I work with a lot of moms who are able to work full time and that's what fills them up. So I have to be very clear that this was my situation. I was at work with other people's children focusing on a lot of crisis. And I realized that that was where my energy was going. And then when I was with my own daughter, I didn't have it. So I made a choice to be at home. And I actually spent a little time at home, Paul, like probably about six months where I didn't do anything because I've, I was parenting the whole time. What mm-hmm. I mean is in my career. So parenting was pulling enough out of me. A lot of transitions were occurring where I was just figuring out how to be a new mom. And that was when I realized I still want to help people. I still want to talk to people, but I can't. And this is, again, this talk about an OG thing. I was like, I really don't know how to do it and be with my kid too. And I found this program. It's actually based out of Seattle Pacific University, and it was called the Parent Coaching Institute. And, you know, it's one of those random Google searches where I was just like, you know, oh, what is this? And then kind of looked into it in their curriculum. And their curriculum not only was interesting to me from the therapeutic model that I'd gone through for clinical social work, but it also in, in, you know, incorporated a lot of things about, you know, self-awareness or what we would personal growth, you know, things that I was interested in in on my own. You know, I was always into self-help and it's in many forms. And so I started, I went to school. I went back to school. Um, I got my coaching certification, I think in about two years. And then that's when things started being on the phone. So I remember I was like my, when I first started learning about this, about coaching, I'm like, how am I going to coach someone if I can't see their body language? Cause that's a big part of being a therapist, mm-hmm. but they're like, no, no, it, it works on the phone. You just have to practice. And it did like, I had wonderful interactions with my clients on the phone. And so I could work with people no matter where they lived, you know, ge- you know, the geography didn't matter. And so it became this really wonderful, um, while I was home with my girls, I could still have time where I could work with people and, um, support them in their parenting. And it kind of fit where my life was in that moment. So let me go, go back and, and ask, how did you and Todd actually start Zen parenting then? Yeah. So I actually, my, my first book came out and it was called the self-aware parent. And it was just basically, I, I wrote it more for my clients and people that I knew because I was doing a lot of group work and I wanted people to have something that they could take home with them, but it ended up having a bit of a life. Um, and I did an interview with somebody who wanted to talk to me about it and they had a podcast. I, and when I say an interview with someone, I didn't even know I was on a podcast. I was just like, Oh, you want to you know interview me? Okay. Here's a microphone. But they're like, you should start a podcast. They wanted, they had a production company. So they're like, come work with us and you should do a podcast. And I thought that was really interesting because my husband and I have, I don't know, well, we've had the show for a long time. So some people are interested in talking or listening to us, but we talk in depth all the time. Like, are we drive our kids crazy where they'll be <laughs> like, can you guys stop? Like, can we get like a word in here? Cause we always have all these details we want to relate to each other. So, when she said you should do a podcast, she said, but find someone to do it with, you know, then you can have like a back and forth. And I signed up my husband immediately. I was like, my husband will do it with me. Now he didn't know that. Um, (laughs) I literally like walked upstairs. I was like, listen, there's this thing. And I tried to downplay it. Um, But he was all in, like he was, he was, he was, he was more than a trooper. He was interested. He was like, okay. So we started and um, you know, it's like everything grew under our feet. And what I mean by that is because there weren't a lot of platforms, I mean, there was iTunes, um, but there, you know, I remember I had burned a few CDs so my mom could listen to it. I am so aging myself right now, <laughs> um, but it, it took off because I think the, the things we talked about at the time, they were unique. I think they've become a little more mainstream, but we talked about the merging of you know, understanding therapeutic practices when it comes with our, you know, when it comes to our kids or what discipline really is and self-care and self-compassion. And it was a much more 
um, I think accessible way of looking at parenting rather than be super like rule-based or, um, you know, focusing on punitive measures or punishment. It was more about how do you connect with your kid? How do you feel good about your family? Um, and, and it kind of, it took hold and it's been, you know, we're still here. Yeah. Still I mean, that's, that's a, that you're, you and Todd starting this has been, I, I, can't even imagine all the stories that you could share and tell in 11 years of doing this. But obviously the two of you were really ahead of the curve because to your point, a lot of this is more mainstream. And, and we were talking about this before we hit record, but, and, and I know I've mentioned this on the show before. It's like, I have this secret and I don't know if people really realize it or not, but when I started the show almost two years ago, it was really for me selfishly to, to figure out some of the answers that, that I was searching for and to be able to talk to experts in fields such as yourself that, you know, other people I think would find interesting. And the fact that I was dealing with these issues with not only my own family personally, but all these, well, now 65 plus families that I work with at, at Tama and the, the varying degrees of where everybody's at. I I have people that have young children. I have people that are now widowed. Um, Mm -hmm. I have people that are like you and I that, well, I still have younger kids. Yours are a little bit older, although Mm -hmm. we're close to the same age. Yeah. Um, But everybody's at at different spots in their lives. But we've already said this once. And if this was a drinking show, we do (laughs) shots every time we'd say life transitions. (laughs) Totally. Totally. I know. And and we'll have many more to do because that kind of, and you know what, my, my secret is the same as your secret. That's why I do everything I do is I'm interested in it personally. I think it's the, um, you know, when Todd and I come down, I'm actually in the podcast studio right now. When we come down and do a podcast, we're not just creating a podcast for everybody else. We're having a really important conversation. We're having, and one of the things that we made very clear is that the show is not about our kids. We're not talking about my kid did this and it's not their, we don't, their personal lives have not been for display for the last 11 years. We talk about us, how we reacted to something and what, you know, something occurred and how we didn't respond the best way or what we could have done better or we do a million shows that are just about, you know, like the show that, that posted today. I mean, literally, we just talked about the first noble truth in Buddhism and what it means about what tr- the truth of suffering and what life is suffering means and is how do we like relate to that. So our big secret, Paul, is that our show is not about parenting. It's about us. And then that's then trickles into parenting because it everything begins with us. That is, that is well said. So <laughs> let's, speaking of secrets, what's the secret behind starting or to, to writing this, this book that you just um, got out here in, in the spring or well, yeah. depends on where you live, I guess, late, yeah. late winter, early, early spring um, Zen, Zen parenting. Mm-hmm. One, one of the questions that I wanted to ask is to have you walk us through the seven chakras that you say Mm-hmm. Um, that identi- that you identify in in your new book. And for those that don't know, and I didn't know what this was either, I had to look it up. But what's a chakra? <laughs> I love it. So this the book is actually a fun blend of everything I love. Okay, because the intention of the book is to be very accessible. I'm not trying. To, I don't want it to be esoteric. I don't want it to be um, you know difficult for someone to access some some wisdom from it. But it also is a blend of all the things like if, if for people who listen to the show, this will make a lot of sense. Zen parenting or using the chakras in Zen parenting is about understanding ourselves and our energy. So one of the things I, I also am that I didn't tell you is I'm a yoga teacher. So I focus a lot on understanding body energy, understanding body awareness. And I don't mean to stay fit. I mean to be able to hear the messages from our body. Um, Many of us in the world walk around as floating heads that we think anything we think is what we need to do, and we don't listen to the wisdom of our body. So 
what the chakras are, are their their energy centers in the body. And they're not something that you can see on an MRI. They're more of an, like anybody who's done Reiki or yoga or Ayurvedic medicine, that's what you're working with is you're working with the energy centers in the body. And there's seven of them and all of them have a specific purpose or reason. And they all tend to build on each other, but they're not completely linear because you could be focusing on, you know, something in the heart chakra and still need to work on chakra one, which is the feeling of belonging and having a sense of grounding. So not everything is perfectly like, oh, you get to the seven chakra and you're all good. Sometimes you're going back and forth. There's a lot of like um, mix and match, if you will. But why I use them is because I, that's how I understand myself. Like I, I feel, you know, the energy centers all have different information and I, and I can make it very grounded. Like, you know, chakra one is just about a sense of belonging. Chakra two is about our sense of creativity and uh, chakra three is about gut instincts, right? You know, everybody knows like in your stomach, like if you feel like something's good, chakra four is your heart center and your feelings of love, but also grief. Your grief lives here too. Chakra five is your ability to speak what you feel and know. And that in itself, if you don't, if you're not in alignment in these other areas, it's very difficult to speak what you know. Like it's very hard to have a podcast if you don't have a point of view, right? Right. And then chakra six is a more like um, intuitive, like what's right for me. It's called the third eye center. And chakra seven is our connection to other people. So while it can sound really like, oh, I, I, you know, like first of all, I'm not an expert on chakras either. I mean, I I practice them and I understand them, but there's much better books about chakras overall but I use the structure to talk about all those aspects of self. So we could not only like dive into our own selves and say, am I paying attention to these aspects of myself, but also support our kids in understanding those aspects of themselves. Like imagine with a kid who's having a hard time making a decision. And this is just like a really simple thing you can do, but asking them, put your hand on your heart, close your eyes. What, what feels right to you? Helping them learn to trust themselves. You know, a sense of belonging is all about like having your feet on the ground, metaphorically and literally, you know, taking a walk or having your feet on the ground means making a decision. You know, everything has all these layers of understanding, but sometimes bringing them together, like chakras became the structure or scaffolding to talk about a lot of different things. So that's, you know, so for the people who are way into spirituality or into body work, they may go one direction, but like for you, for, you know, you were like, I didn't even know what these were. You can just look at them through the lens of, oh, heart center is like developing empathy. You know, a fifth chakra is more about communication. Like it can be more literal. So how, how do you like what age or ages do you start potentially introducing this to kids? Should parents want to go, you know, start trying to utilize some of these things that you're bringing up mm-hmm. because I think of where I'm at right now with, you know, my triplets are going to be 12 in December, Mackenzie air plus one will be 10 in in October. Um, you're they're in the going, heart of it. They're going through massive changes right you now. Bet. It's it's really hard. I mean, like, yeah. I have my own therapist that I see every yes, two weeks. Yes, me too. Are you kidding and, me? Of course and, we do. <laughs> and uh, she's been a godsend. And it's only until like the last couple months that we've kind of figured out some triggers yeah. to where rather than me exploding on my kids, yep. being aware and taking that step back. And when I say taking a step back, I mean, physically, like yep. I have to, there's, I have to do something physically to get myself out of that mental spot where I don't want to be, because I don't want to be yelling at my kids. My kids don't want me yelling at them either. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's, that's been my MO for a long time and I'm trying to break it. Yeah. Well, and you know, what's more, what's so interesting is you will start to, and you may already be doing this in your therapy work, but pay close attention to the things that really do frustrate you because your kids are doing things during the day that may frustrate a different parent, but they don't frustrate you. Like this can often happen, you know, in couplehood where, you know, one person is really freaked out about something and you're not, and the other person is really freaked about something. The other person's not. So why that's important is that is a self-awareness practice completely in itself, because you 
you, Paul, but all of us have triggers based on our own childhood, the fears that we have, the things that happen to us that we don't want to have happen to our kids, the, or something that we haven't even recognized. Like I tend to work with a lot of women. I that's, I'm a girls and women's advocate mostly. And, you know, so many women growing up in their family did not feel heard and then went into an educational system where they weren't heard a work system where they weren't heard. So they run into a situation that's minor with their kids. Like, honey, can you put your shoes away? And the kid doesn't put their shoes away. And they're like, you have to listen to me, put your shoes away. And they're not really mad about the shoes. They're mad because no one's been listening to them for yes. years. Yeah. And, and I have some of that, which is why I can relate to it. So why, So you can kind of see how when people come to me and they say, my kid's doing this, my kid's doing that, my kid's doing this. Of course, I hear and validate and all of that's true. But why are these things bothering you? There's layers. There's layers and layers. And they still should put their shoes away. But the the effect it's having on you, like somebody, uh, a family member of mine is in recovery and an AA, they always say, if it's hysterical, it's historical, right? If you're like having, if you're freaking out, then there's something that in your history that is really being brought up by this situation. You know, like there is, you, and that re- is hold, I didn't mean to interrupt, but can you repeat that again? If sure, it's- sure, sure. If it's, his, if it's hysterical, it's historical. Isn't that great? <laughs> I love AA language. I really do. Like I, you know, I have so many clients and like I said, family members who have gone through recovery programs. And sometimes I'm like, I think we should all go, you know, like we should all learn this understanding of ourselves. I'm just, I'm, I, I, and hopefully you can go back to your train of thought, but sure, I'm just, I'm just stuck on it. I'm like, I am like, that that I'm just chewing on that and figuring yeah. out if it's hysterical, it's his, it's historical. And that's true for your kids too, Paul, is I know they haven't had it as long of life, but you know how sometimes we'll say to our kid like, hey, you know, what's your favorite color? And they're like, why do you always need to know my favorite color? Why did, and you're like, wait a second. I just want to know your favorite color, but there's something underneath that for them. There's a yes. feeling of judgment. There's a feeling of you don't know me. You don't watch me. Um, you're trying to test me. It's different for every kid, but a lot of times we're very like, instead of being curious about our reactions or our kids' reactions, we're just kind of pissed. We're like, it shouldn't be this way. Oh my God. I could not agree with you more because I am at my core, a very curious person. Yeah. Yeah. And and that's why I love what I do when it comes to being a wealth advisor and, you know, running this family office that I do is that much of what I do is research and reading and figuring out and problem solving and getting into things that people want, don't want to get into or deal with. But when it comes to my kids, I'm not, I usually mean real. I'm not, I'm not that as way. I'm not right. as curious. Well, and even that is like, again, this kind of goes back to the chakras and understanding yourself. Like there's probably some deeper beliefs. Okay. So it could be so many different things here. So you just like, I'm going to throw a bunch of things out and you just pull whatever feel like resonates because they may not all, but some of it is our belief systems about that kids should just do what we say. Right. Yeah. That we kind of grew up in That's how uh, a generation up. where if you, the parents says do it, you do it. And, and, you know, a lot of times when I say to parents, like, do you want your kid to be afraid of you? A lot of parents are like, oh yeah, they better be afraid of me, which isn't really great because right. then they're not going to come to you. There's also these pieces of, we know that we aren't showing up in certain ways. So we don't want to be curious because our kids might tell us that. Do you see what I mean? Like we would like to perceive ourselves in a certain way. And then as soon as our kid says, well, you didn't show up for that thing, whatever it may be. We're like, but we showed up two weeks ago and I showed up with the money and I couldn't, you couldn't have gone to that camp without me. And we, instead of hearing their needs, we focus on what we believe parenting should be, which is I'm bringing in the money. I am sending you to the good school. So you should be grateful. But see, our kid doesn't understand that aspect of life. They can't relate. Yeah, I agree. I completely agree with you. And that's been something that I've been wrestling with personally to, I need to, I need to work through that because that's, that's a bad, bad spot to be in. Yeah. Yeah. And, and it is like, let's just call it what it is. What sucks about it. Not only do we feel not good, but we disconnect from our kids or Mm -hmm. our kids disconnect from us, or it's, it's this mutual thing where we're just you know, it like the phase your kids are in is a really important time. Every 
time is important, but they are going to be changing. And can you allow them to do that instead of, we used to go fishing at 10. Why don't, why don't you guys fish with me anymore? Because they're not 10. Like now we have to start meeting them where they're at. What music do they like? And can you listen to it with them? What shows are they watching? And can you like sit down and be like, okay, tell me about this show. Like, tell me about these people. If you are interested in their lives, they stay connected to you because they know you have their back. If you tell them why their shows suck and why their music is awful and why what they do is nothing like what you did as a kid and how they're just missing the boat, they, they don't, they're, it's not that they won't love you. It's just that they're not going to be interested in spending time with you. And then you'll feel hurt. And it, you know, it's the cycle, right? You didn't realize this was turning into a therapy session, did you? <laughs> this is this is terrific. it always does. I mean, and and I this is your I, natural element, Kat. Yeah. Like you are this is incredible. <laughs> <laughs> it always does. And literally, Paul, the thing that's so great is every moment of the day, not to overwhelm people with this, but every moment is a learning experience, right? Yeah. What's working? What's right. not? Oh, I said that and they were really affected by that. It may not be the right time to say, why did that affect you? But you're like taking in information. We're either taking it in and noticing or we're denying it and deciding to just do our expectations and they have to deal with it. And that's the old school, listen to me. I don't want to listen to you parenting. Right. Oh. God, this is so good. This is so good. <laughs> I hope the audience is getting as much out of this as I am. Um, so how I, I got to go back and look at my notes because I, I, I went, off, time. I went yeah. off track, but you know, l- let me go to this question because it, it actually what we're just talking about. And my question was, has being a parent always felt overwhelming no matter what generation? And because we'll look back and you know, like, I'll talk to my parents and like, well, you don't know what it was like for us. You don't, you had it so good. And now we say, we're saying the same things to our kids and, you know, more likely they'll say the same things to their, their kids right. and, and on and on. But I, I guess the, the heart of my question is really, I guess, does it always feel so overwhelming? Yes. And, and, but for different reasons. And I think that's kind of like the, um, it's not, it's like the paradoxical parts of it. Like there are things that in this generation are easier and there are things that are definitely more difficult. Yes. Why that's important. And I can speak to those individual things, but why that's really important to just understand is that is why we're never going to have generational agreement on things. Meaning when we look at our childhood and we're like, oh, you know, I went out at 9 a.m. I was on my bike all day. My, my parents didn't know who I, where I was. And then I'd come home when the streetlight came on. Why don't you do that? That is not available to our children in this day and age. And part of it is, is a false belief. Like we really believe that our kids are going to get picked up by strangers or that if they actually ride in the street, that that means they're going to be hit by a car. Like we've become a much more worried and concerned society. Part of that, there's so many reasons for that. And it's really interesting to dive into. We could do like two hours about that. But one of them is the amount of news that we take in. We know so much information about what's going on in every town, in every country, in every city around the world that we believe bad things are going to happen all the time. Right. Because we didn't have that access. We didn't have that access. We knew what was going on in our town and maybe a few nationwide stories that were on the front page of the paper. We didn't take in the toxicity and negativity of every single event occurring simultaneously. I mean, it's our bodies are not built for it. Talk about body awareness. Like we are literally not built for it. Yeah. And so it's part of the reason we feel overwhelmed is it becomes a projection onto our children. If we hear the news and then we look at them and say, okay, you can't go there. You know, you, you can't do that. You can't be alone. You have to have a chaperone. You can't spend the night. And, and the interesting thing is, is why it's paradoxical. There's also some truth to that. Our kids could go to, you know, Lollapalooza and get COVID right? That could happen. Mm -hmm. Our kids could be in a situation where they do get in a car accident. That could happen. Um, It's not that it's not one or the other. It's balancing both understandings that sometimes we're, we're a little over the top with our fear, but we also have to be wise and rational parents and recognize that there are risks, but that sometimes like, like I told you, I have a 19 year old and a 17 year old. When they tell me, 
And this is the difference when your kids get older, they don't say, mom, can I do this? They say, here's what I'm doing. And when they say that I have to trust them because they are, one is an adult and the other is all like in November, she'll be 18. And my job is now to support, encourage, be there. If there is a challenge, offer any guidance, if they ask for it, I am no longer in charge of saying you can't go. So I guess my point is, is the risks are real. And we also have a lot of created risks in our, in our mind. So we have to kind of find a wise place between. It's funny that you mentioned that because I remember being in the NICU with the triplets or NICU or triplets were in the NICU for like six weeks over Christmas and in new year's. And I remember talking to one of the doctors and she had, I think like a 22 year old um, daughter, Mm -hmm. um, ironically living in Chicago where you're Mm -hmm. at Mm -hmm. and it was new year's Eve. And you know, she was getting updates about what her daughter was doing. And she made the comment to me. She's like, it doesn't matter what age your kids are at. You will always be parenting. Always. Always. Because, and, and, it, and if we are wise, again, I'm using the word wise just to mean like if we're using all aspects of our brain and body, if we're pulling together all of our information, we will transition through different types of parenting because the way I parented, you know, like I was just saying, you have a 10 year old and and 12 year olds and they will need you to be a different kind of parent as they're going forward. They don't need you to tie their shoes. Like transitions shot. (laughs) Right. Right. and, And here's the other thing you have to watch them to figure out what they need. Need. Yes. You can't go to the book anymore. Like when they're babies, you're like, okay, they're supposed to nap at one. They're supposed to nap at four. And that never works anyway, either. But at least we're still like yeah. trying to follow a pattern because they can't speak to us yet. But once your kid says, this is what I need, or I don't want, you know, it's as you're getting into the world of like where kids are, maybe they do a sport or maybe they do some kind of thing that you're really proud of, or you've got a community. And then one day they may come to you and say, I'm done with that. Yeah. And you may be like, yeah. And you're like, um, but that's our community. And that's, I planned on you doing that in high school and you were going to get a college, you know, you know, you were going to go to college on that scholarship. That might not be their path. That's your path that you dreamed of, but it's not theirs. And you may also be like, but can't you see how this is going to help you? And they may say, but that's not me. That's, and this is, This gets into a lot of other issues when it comes to sexuality, when it comes to gender, when it comes to, you know, life decisions, friendships, um, you know, education, what's interesting to them. So it becomes a lot more daunting in some ways, but more connective and relational because your kid actually has their brain is now developed to a point where they can rationalize. They have that prefrontal cortex, you know, where they can be like, dad, I can hear you too now, you know, at eight, they can't. But right. now they can. Well, Teresa was made this really fascinating observation. Well, it's probably over a month ago now. And I don't remember the what we were talking about or the context. But I think she was explaining to somebody because when, when you say the word triplets or multiples, people like <laughs> just the first thing is like gas, like, oh, my gosh, like, how hard is that? How do you do it? Right. Yeah. And the way that she put it is when they were younger, it was more physical exertion mm-hmm. and, and work. Now it has been transitioning more into more mental mm-hmm. work and exertion and more so anxiety. I was going to say like, yes, mental, but it's a lot here. Yes. <laughs> it's yeah. a lot. It's a lot of, you don't have the amount of control you had before. And you really didn't have a lot of control, control before, before either. either. Yeah. yeah. But it felt like it, right? You know, you you were like, they're with me. Mm-hmm. You know, I know where I'm putting them in bed. I know who they're with. I'm scheduling the play dates. And, and then there's this letting go where I agree. There's a lot of choices, which is the mental and the rationalizing and developing as they develop. Because we have to grow up too, right? right? We're growing up alongside them. We're becoming more self-aware. We're recognizing our own trigger, triggers. But for me, a lot of it has been, you know, since we're talking about my book, in the fourth chakra area, like in the heart center, like there's been a lot of joy and a lot of pain, like, and they're, they're two sides of the same coin because you don't know one without the other, but a lot of disappointment, a lot of fear, a lot of worry. And what you though see 
as they go through and you watched this when they were little, like you even had the NICU experience where you probably every day was probably really interesting. I'll just say like the information you got, the concern, the, you know, all you probably have those sounds from the hospital ingrained in your brain. Oh, right. Tre- tre- it's funny you mentioned that because Teresa says that all the time. She's yeah. like, she'll never, she'll never be able to get over all the monitors and the beeping noise. Like she, that still bothers her to her yes. core this day and will probably forever. It will. And because it it carries a vibe, like I didn't have it with my kids, but my dad was sick for like 17 years before he passed. So hospitals, not only did I work in one, but I was there with my dad all the time. And so those sounds carry a feeling like even for a while when my phone would ring, the phone carried a feeling of this could be bad news, right? Like you, right. you, there's thing. And that in itself is we can call them traumas. We can call them, you know, post-traumatic kind of experiences, but we need to hold them with a lot of compassion. It's when people say, well, heal that. Okay. Let's be bring awareness, but it may just always be the way. And to just be like, be compassionate toward that part of yourself because you worked a lot. I mean, the amount of emotional work you did in that six weeks, some people can't even conceive of, you know, like that was pretty incredible. Um, so I think that the, and, and actually I didn't know where I was going after that. I, I got on the hospital track and I was like thinking oh, that'll about get you, our, that'll get you off track. It's I know because well, trauma is such a, like, it makes me want to go in a totally different direction, which we don't have to, but it's, it's so interesting. Like what our experiences have done to shaping our worldview and and I think, and and this is where self-help can get negative because I, I really understand that self-help has two sides. I've lived mm-hmm. it my whole life. So it can be helpful and harmful is a lot of times there's just a lot of, well, don't think that way or think differently or let that go or heal that. And that's not always what's supposed to happen. Like right. there, there is those experiences shape our worldview. They develop our compassion. They make us more empathetic to others. I bet there are a lot of families, if they ever had the experience of being in the NICU, they'd know to call you guys, you know, because they know that you could understand. So it becomes part of, it's a goodness in us too. So anyway, I just, you know, trauma. (laughs) Let me, let me bring back kind of like a closing question to the, to the book Um, is what, what would be like one or two big takeaways that, that, that parents should be taking away from the book after they, they read it. What, what would you really want to point out that parents should pay attention to? It's a great question. Um, I think the book is very similar to the podcast and that the book is not about how to get your child to do anything. It's about how to take care of you. And that even though they're at the end of every chapter, there's all these examples of here's how to discuss this with your child. Like I give a lot of examples of how to pass along information or to um, demonstrate or role model ways of dealing with difficult situations. The book is really about the parent. And I, you know, the, the biggest compliment I've gotten about it or, you know, people who have read it, the reviews that I've gotten is that it's a. I think what people take away from it is that it is a compassionate approach. There is not a judgment in here of you should be doing this, or how do you not know how to do this? We're all kind of walking this path. And sometimes we think we are headed in the right direction and we hit a wall. And sometimes the person who hits the wall is the one who finds the most wisdom a week later. Like there is no, like either got it or you don't. And so the compassionate response is you may have been, when your kid was little, an amazing connected parent, and you're starting to like, feel like that's getting lost, or you don't know your kids very well. And that's okay. Meaning that's a time to go back and kind of be like, okay, what do I want? How can I become more curious? Like everything is a practice. And so the whole idea of it being compassionate and that even if you feel like there was a lot of things you missed because life was really chaotic when your kids were little, there's never it never ends, meaning you can reconnect tomorrow. You can, you know, I, a lot of, I talk to a lot of grandparents who email me, especially about the show. Cause they listen to the show and they'll be like, I did not do any of these things with my kids, <laughs> but I'm going to do it with my grandkids. And I'm trying to do it more with my adult kids. Cause yeah. there is no age limit. These things that you and I are talking about are universal truths. It's true in marriage. It's true in friendship. It's true in parenting. It's about how we relate to ourselves how we relate and understand others. And it's always a practice. 
like it's it's ongoing. Well, that was actually one of my my last questions that I had for you was while we have this unlimited potential for compassion and caring, it certainly goes up and down. Yeah. <laughs> How do we go about refilling these these this compassion bucket, if you will? And yeah. it reminds me of this book that I used to read to my kids about this topic called How Full Is Your Bucket? Oh, I love it. I mean, you remember that book? Yes, yeah, so completely. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I remember reading that to my kids and I'm like, I probably, I should dust that off. I'm sure Teresa's got it somewhere because that, that is, that was an excellent series of books. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, you know, that in itself is about um, self-care, but I want to redefine that word for people because I think, you know, how words sometimes start to betray us because. Yeah. They get and used. I think that's one of them. That is, it's become too mainstream. So I, I try, you know, I often more use self-compassion, um, but let, I want to talk about what self-care means. So self-care is not about getting a massage and getting your nails done. Self-care is about recognizing yourself and hearing what you need. The reason why this is the answer to your question is because like you said, there are times when your patience is limited. There are times when you recognize you can't take anything else in. And it's not because you're failing. It's because like you said, you are full. Like you, like the Buddhists always talk about the the empty cup, which is Mm -hmm. most people, you know, the Zen proverb, you know, someone, you know, someone shows up to a teacher with a cup and he pours the tea and he keeps pouring the tea till it's overflowing. And the student's like, why are you doing that? He's like, cause that's what you are right now. You're already full. You have no room for anything else. So I'm demonstrating through the tea that you are an overflowing cup. You have to empty. So emptying means like, it's it's so funny to have this conversation because the last month, like, you know, the COVID situation with everybody, um, my, my mom is not well right now. There is, you know, things going on with work. It, it's been one of those months where, you know, where you wake up and you're like, oh, another thing. Of course. <laughs> right. Of course, of course. Yes. And I know what does that mean for me? I have to go to bed at 930 or somewhere around there. I have to. And not because. I'm trying to demonstrate to everybody my sleep habits, but I am utilizing so much energy during the day mentally and physically. It's the only way I can do it. I also am practicing. I'm taking walks with my girls because that's the time that we're actually connecting. And I'm feeling like that's happening. We're moving, we're processing. Um, I'm, I'm asking my friends for help, like not with like bringing food, but like, like having sessions where I'm like, you guys, 10 minutes, like I'm freaking out. I'm overwhelmed, you know? So someone's relating to me. So I'm paying attention to my needs. That's all self-care is. It doesn't matter how it looks. I don't care if it's exercise or not. It's not your eating habits. (laughs) It's the sense of if you feel Paul, like on a certain day that you are very impatient, taking three minutes to figure out why. And you'll know, you'll be like, because everybody at work is asking me for everything and I'm already filled or I'm scared because something my kids said, or I'm feeling disconnected from my wife. And that's why I'm feeling impatient. We don't, we've been trained to not look at those things and just kind of keep going. Keep going. Yeah. The key there is this stop. Yes. The key there. And, and the stop could be like my stopping is um, I have a, and this is, it's literally five minutes. I have a journal called the five minute journal. I'm a big journaler. I'm a writer, but sometimes I don't have energy for the narrative. Like I don't want to wake up and be like today, like I don't have that time. <laughs> right. So I found this thing called the five minute journal. And it basically just lists a few things today. You know, there's a quote at the top and then it says, you know, today I am grateful for if there's three lines and then it'll say something I want to learn today, something. And I just write words. Like I'm not doing it for a school, you know, project, like mm-hmm. no one's going to read it. So I just write words. And what that does is it's kind of talk about, this is chakra one foundation, establishing my intention. And, you know, it, it again, it's not about what you say. I, and I, I, every day I say the weather, cause in Chicago right now, it is amazing. So yeah. I'm just like, the fact that I can be outside. So you, you can put breathing, like you don't have to like come up with brand new things. It's just, what do I appreciate today? And that at least is an intentional way of stopping and being like, or I'm going to, I'm going to check in with my daughter because I noticed yesterday she was really overwhelmed and that's something I'm going to do today. So to your point, like the stopping can be five minutes 
It doesn't have to be today. I really need to meditate for 30 minutes. I love meditation, but I'm always careful to recommend that because I know that some people are like, oh, yeah, you know, um, well, I could keep you here for probably another hour and we're approaching <laughs> the top of the hour. No way. So, yeah, seriously. <laughs> this has just been such a amazing conversation, Kathy. And, and I'm sure that this is not going to be our last. Um, so let, let me, let me bring us to our, my closing question that I ask all of our, our guests, at least the first timers anyways, Great. is what is the best thing about being a parent? Mm. Oh, the relationships, because it's the one relationship where, and I know some people will say, no, this does happen sometimes, but most, you know, 99% of the time, you're not going to bail. Meaning there are friendships that come and go. There are, you know, marriages that come and go sometimes that just don't work out. But when it comes to our kids, it's the most determined and willing and vulnerable and, you know, most love filled place that we can be where we're willing to do this work. You know, it's kind of like what I said before about the secret of our podcast is that it's really not about parenting. It's about us, but the willingness of people to focus on themselves and heal or become curious comes through the love of their children. They're like, I'm willing to be a better person or to, you know, raise my game because I love my kids so much. So it's such the relationship is so, and you know what else, Paul? It's a hard relationship. Like I, I'm, I'm, I'm making Damn it straight. sound like sunshine and rainbows. It's not, but nothing in life is. I think it's the most honest, real, um, you know, it, it's as much challenge as it is beauty, but man, do we love our kids? <laughs> Don't we? I mean, yeah. they drive us crazy. We love them. I have heard Teresa tell expecting mothers or new mothers, uh, uh, she, the phrase that she uses, welcome to the hardest job that you'll, that you, that you'll ever love. I, ever I think love. that's how she says it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's the, like, it's one of those things. I remember the love when I recognized after I had my first daughter, how much I loved her. Cause I didn't have the experience of them handing me my baby and going, I'm in love right now. Like there's a relationship yes. building where you're like, oh my God, you know, this person. And it's a, it's a different love. It's kind of like a, it's kind of like intense, you know what I mean? Like yeah. where you're like, oh, you know, like you're on fire all the time, not because you're feeling so protective and it makes me go out and be an activist in the world. Like I'm doing things for my children's future. And um, so, yes, I agree with, I agree with your wife on that one. You'll, you'll, it's the hardest thing, but you will absolutely be so fulfilled by these choices. Well, Kathy Adams, I cannot thank you enough for being on the show. And uh, I'm already looking forward to our next conversation. Great. Me too. Me too. <laughs> and to have Todd on. Yes. So, uh, You'll uh, love Todd. Yeah. Let, let Todd know I'll, I will be uh, contacting him soon. But uh, I can't thank you enough for being on the show. And we'll have all the show notes or links to Zen Parenting, the book, Zen Parenting Radio. And I, I, I think uh, it's you're, what you're doing um, is, is helping and can, will continue to help a whole lot of parents. So oh, thank, thank you. you. Thank you, Paul. Thanks for inviting me today. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Emotional Balance Sheet Podcast. Please visit TamaCapital.com to subscribe to this podcast or to connect with certified financial planner and registered investment advisor, Paul Fenner of Tama Capital. And please join us again next time on the Emotional Balance Sheet Podcast. Mm-hmm.